Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Health Freak Podcast. My name is Kelly. I'm your host. And today I'm bringing you an interview that I'm really, really excited about. Um, I don't get to do as many interviews as I would like, but this one was a great one. And I'm excited to share it with the parents out there or the future parents out there who are interested in nutrition for their babies, for themselves, and, you know, getting all the information they need to offer their child a healthy and balanced diet without stress, without restriction, without, you know, any worry. So if you hear something in the background right now, by the way, it's my daughter watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Um, I'm recording this in the bathroom because that's just how it is sometimes. But yeah, let me tell you guys what's going on in today's episode. So I had the pleasure of chatting with Alex Casparo, who is one half of Plant-Based Juniors. So if you don't know about Plant-Based Juniors, Alex, along with Whitney English, created Plant-Based Juniors to help parents confidently navigate a plant-based or predominantly plant-based diet for their babies and toddlers and also for themselves. So Alex and Whitney, they're both registered dietitians and they're both moms of predominantly plant-based toddlers and babies. So if you're not sure what predominantly plant-based means, don't worry, we do cover that in this conversation. Um, But so yeah, they've really done a great job of creating a supportive and an encouraging community and personally, I've learned so much from this team. It's, they've been so helpful. And when you check out their, you know, their social media or their website, there are so many resources, so many free downloads, so many things you can check out quickly and learn from. And yeah, they've done a great job of creating this community for us all to learn from. So in this episode, we talk about pregnancy nutrition and nutrients of importance to look for there. The same with breastfeeding. We talk about introducing solids to babies feeding toddlers and appropriately planning diets for the predominantly plant-based kids, but also any kids and all families who are simply looking to, as Alex said, get more plants on their plates. And, you know, again, to do this in a way that works for you and works for your family. I know we're all busy. We all have our, our preferences of food. We all have our social lives and all these things. So, you know, it's important for us to learn how to approach this in a way that feels sustainable, it feels attainable, And it doesn't stress us out, you know. So PBJ has recently come out with their book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler, which is a fantastic book that can really help anyone get more plants onto their kid's plate. And we'll talk about the book in our chat as well. But I will say I definitely encourage you to pick up a copy for yourself or for a friend. Um, It's, you know, a great, helpful resource for us parents. So I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do too. And without anything further... Here's my chat with the wonderful Alex Casparo of Plant-Based Juniors. Okay, Alex, welcome to the Health Freak Podcast. I'm so, so excited to have you here. I would love it if you would introduce yourself and you are one half of Plant-Based Juniors and tell us all about Plant-Based Juniors community and how you got started and why. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. So my name is Alex. Uh, I like to say I'm one half of the mama dietitian duo over at at Plant Based Juniors. Uh, and Plant Based Juniors is really, you know, it's a community for for parents, for caregivers who want to learn how to get more plants on their children's plate, and also for those who want to raise their children vegetarian, vegan, predominantly plant based, even flexitarian. We like to say we're a very inclusive community. Uh, you know, we sort of look at the, the current stats that the CDC has put out recently on childhood nutrition and current intake for kids. And we just want to say, you know, wherever we can help get more plants on the plate for overall nutrition, for environmental health, I think that's a huge win. And I think a lot of parents aren't exactly quite sure, you know, how to do that. So we sort of want to, want to help guide them. Uh, it was Whitney and I, we joke that we created PBJs over a DM, uh, on Instagram. We've actually been friends for about a decade. Uh, we met at a conference and just hit it off. I asked her to breakfast one day and we just like laughed and talked and skipped all of our sessions that morning and had like a four hour breakfast. And we're just sort of like, okay, I think we're friends and, you know, and sort of the, the faintest sense of the word sort of online friends. We stayed in touch through email, through Instagram, through Facebook. And then we actually both became pregnant uh, around the same time and sort of were, you know, asking each other questions. Hey, have you seen this study? What do you think about this? You know, what are you doing for this? What supplement are you taking? And we just figured, oh my gosh, you know, we both have multiple degrees in nutrition. We're dietitians and we're having all of these questions. Our providers really weren't giving us the guidance that we wanted. And so we knew there's kind of be, you know, other moms, other parents, caregivers out there who were in a similar boat. So 
you know, we really created the resource that we were looking for when I was pregnant with my son, uh, five years ago. Were you both fully plant-based then or vegan or so Whitney, yeah. So Whitney and I consider ourselves to be predominantly plant-based and, you know, I sort of say that my predominance has ebbed and flowed over the last, you know, 15 years of, of eating this way. I go periods where I, you know, consider myself sort of strictly plant-based and I really don't consume animal products. And then, you know, occasionally I'll eat some eggs or I'll allow some dairy or cheese, especially when I'm traveling. So, uh, you know, that, that always sort of fluctuates, fluctuates. We like the term predominantly plant-based. Um, and that's, that's what I was for my pregnancies. It still am. And, and Whitney's the same. Yeah. I love that distinction. I think that's really important actually predominantly plant-based just because from talking to other parents and even not parents, just anybody who's interested, if they hear like plant-based, fully plant-based, it can really turn people away Mm -hmm. because they're like, I can't, like, I can't do it. So I love, love, love that you guys always say predominantly plant-based because that, that really helped me personally. And I know how much it could help other people. Well, and I, I really believe in, and Whitney does very strongly too. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, yeah. especially when we look at again, like sort of where we're currently talking about when it comes to the standard American diet for both children and adults, you know, none, I mean, the standard American diet is the furthest thing in a sense from a predominantly plant-based yeah. diet. So if we're sort of averaging right now, let's say 30% intake from plants, if we can even move that to 50, 60%, I mean, the health benefits that come from that are huge. And what, what we've heard, and you know, you're hearing it too, from your clients and your friends, if people think it has to be a hundred percent, they're so much more likely to be resistant to that idea. Instead of saying, no, come on, let's just all see if we can get more plants on the plate. It feels very inviting. It feels very inclusive. And especially when it comes to our kids, you know, like at some day, my children are going to go to birthday parties and play dates. And I want them to be able to sort of eat their, whatever diet they decide they're going to do. And then when they come home, we're predominantly plant-based. And I think there's a lot of, you know, conversation in that sort of how kids navigate the world. Yeah. I love that. Cause I personally am like an all or nothing person, which is, I used to think was a strength, but of realizing it's not. So (laughs) like in my head, I'm like, yeah, if I do something, I'm like, okay, I have to go all in, but now having a kid, like I realized how flexible you have to be. So especially like when you're sending your kid off to a grandparent's house or a birthday party and you know, Mm -hmm. whatever happens, happens, you can't have control. So to be predominantly plant-based at home is perfect for us. And yeah. And I'll, you know, one last thing I'll just sort of say about that is for our vegan families, if anyone's listening, you know, we, we sort of say we have like two hats on PBJs. One is to help all families sort of eat a little bit more plant-based. And the other is to also provide guidance for, for strict vegan, uh, or, you know, strict plant-based eaters and families, because we do feel like the information that's out there, especially on social media, there's just a lot of, there's just not as credible. It's not very evidence-based. And we wanted to create a resource that says, you know, if if you want to feed your children that way, awesome. We support you. And here are some things you want to make sure that you're covering um, and really sort of try to be that, that education arm as well. Yeah, no, I love that. Cause currently, and since she's born, my daughter's been fully plant-based. Like she hasn't had any animal products yet. I haven't in about two years. So like your supplement guide has been super helpful. And to be in this period where we are, like, I guess you would say like eating a strictly vegan diet. Mm -hmm. So your book plant-based baby and toddler came out in May, right? Correct. Um, And I love that book. I think it's so digestible for like the general population. I love how you do the bottom line. Um, can you tell me about your book a little bit, like what made you want to write it and everything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we joke that we just, we keep creating the business that we want that we're looking to find and that's not out there. Uh, so the plant-based baby and toddler was, was really sort of why we started PBJs. When I was pregnant with my son, I wanted to find a book to sort of help me guide me through a plant-based pregnancy and I couldn't find it. The ones that were out there were written by celebrities. There was a lot out there that was sort of a naysayer for a vegan diet. Um, my midwife, I went through a, a midwife sort of program to deliver my children And they were not into a plant-based diet at all. They had a lot of concerns. And, you know, I think that being a dietitian, I was really empowered to say like, okay, I know what the position statements are from the Academy of Pediatrics or the, you know, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. I know that I can do this in a really healthful way for myself and my baby, but I do want to make sure I'm doing it right. And I, and I want to make sure I'm sort of getting the, the information that I need. And that's really why we created the plant-based baby and toddler. It sort of goes through 
uh, everything a parent would need to sort of raise their children the first three, year, three years. And the reason we focused on sort of that time period is because we felt like there's so many things to consider. Anyone who has fed a child or starting solids knows there's so much nuance. There's so many sort of like, well, what about this? And this situation comes up and there's so much sort of work through those first few years that we really wanted to do an in-depth guide on, you know, everything from like postnatal nutrition to breastfeeding, to starting solids, to picky eating, to sort of some of the older uh, things we'll go through with toddlers, you know, whether it's structure versus restriction, uh, you know, challenges when it comes to feeding, selective eating, et cetera, and really put that all in one sort of easy to digest, no pun intended, uh, book. And that's why we created the bottom lines because we were like, well, hold on. People that are reading this are going to be busy parents. You know, Whitney and I love like the in-depth things we also know a lot of people just want to skim and sort of make sure that they're getting what they need. And that's why with every single section, there's a quick sort of like bottom line of like exactly what you need to know to put that in practice. Yeah. I love it. And I think, um, I'm like you too. Like I love the science. I love mm-hmm. diving deep into that, but most people really don't want to. So, and with the picky eating thing, it's just been so helpful for me. Like my daughter's a great eater, but then she went through a period where she just was trying to subsist on crackers and like air and that's it. And, <laughs> and I'm it's, like, it's hard. It's very I mean, hard. It is. It is really hard. I mean, you know, we, we sort of joke, like I, you would be ashamed, ashamed, but you'd be surprised some nights to come in and see my son. And I'm like, yep. So he had a uh, bread and strawberries for dinner yeah. and didn't touch anything else. And yeah. I am cool with it. And you know, there it's challenging. I think anyone who's trying to sort of set their kids up for this, like ultimate, uh, or, or optimal sort of pattern of eating. I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, there's it's a hard. reason that this is a, a tricky set thing to navigate. So, uh, hopefully the plant-based baby and toddler sort of helps you with some of the things. And I think also sort of normalizes the struggles. Cause that was also really important. You know, there's the theory and there's also real life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's just jump in. Tell us about the advantages of plant-based diets for kids. Cause like you said on social media, you know, that's where people are getting their information these days. You can see a lot of crazy headlines, a lot of crazy things, but you two are dietitians. So you're in there. You're you've studied this, you know? Um, so yeah. What are the benefits, the advantages of feeding your kids this way? So the biggest benefits to, and I'll sort of say predominantly plant-based as an overall phrase. And the reason I'm doing that is because there aren't a ton of studies on true vegan children. There are a few, but there's a lot of more studies on vegetarian children. And there's even more studies on sort of this, like predominantly plant-based flexitarian. So we sort of say the umbrella of more plants, more often, what does the research show? And in that case, um, it shows that vegan children and vegetarian children, just like adults tend to be, um, much lower, uh, BMIs. So especially as kids get a little bit older, we see much lower rates of preschool obesity, childhood obesity than we do considering the normal population. Uh, they also have sort of healthier cardiovascular, cardiometabolic, uh, markers. So things like lower cholesterol, lower LDL cholesterol, higher HDL cholesterol, they tend to be uh, taking in more servings of fruits and vegetables. And then again, some of the micronutrients that come alongside that. So things like, you know, more vitamin C, uh, more folate, sort of some of the nutrients that parents tend to be concerned on. What I like to really, uh, talk about a lot is the fact that our taste buds, our preferences for food are really adapted early in life, right mm-hmm. there. And I think all of us as adults can sort of look back and say, we, we probably, prefer or at least accept a lot more sort of our mother food, right? Whatever sort of culture or ethnicity that our parents sort of cooked when we were children, uh, that tends to be really comforting, really knowing. And a lot of us are more accepting of those kind of foods. And that is the case we believe with plant-based diets as well, right? So foods that maybe aren't going to be as abnormal to kids as they get older. I'm not saying my kids, you know, chow down on kale, but they love (laughs) broccoli. They love cauliflower. They love lentils. They love whole grains. You know, these are all sort of the foods that are part of their early childhood, um, feeding experience. And ideally, uh, what we, what we sort of see in the research is that will continue as they get older in life. So we're really setting them up for this 
healthier pattern of eating. And then when we get into adulthood, that's when we really see so much of the benefits when it comes to a plant-based or plant predominant diet, uh, when it comes to reducing risk of chronic disease. So sort of setting our kids up to accept these foods and like these foods earlier on uh, is likely going to mean a healthier adulthood as they continue to get older and eat the same way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and I didn't realize this, you know, until I started learning about it, don't realize that certain conditions you can have these markers for as very, very young children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're starting to see, you know, fatty streaks of, uh, in, in children as young as, you know, eight, nine. I mean, these are sort of the beginnings of cardiovascular disease. Uh, we've got sort of decades of research showing that diet has a huge impact on cardiovascular disease. Yes. There's genetic components as well, but LDL cholesterol. I mean, LDL uh, saturated fat is linked to higher levels of LDL cholesterol, which is sort of what helps to create those, uh, those plaques, those fatty streaks. And so if we're trying to minimize that intake, uh, in childhood and also increasing sort of these, these plant foods on the plate. And that's the other thing I think doesn't get talked about enough is it's not just about taking away. It's what are we adding? Yeah. Uh, you know, the CDC currently is saying that one in 10 kids gets enough produce every day. So considering that to be fruits and vegetables, you know, plant-based kids get much more than that, you know, depending on kind of what study you're looking at, they get five, six, uh, seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day. That's huge. When we think about sort of a lifetime and accumulation of, of eating that way. Yeah. It's interesting what you said too, about the taste preferences. Mm -hmm. Um, my daughter, she loves like cauliflower. She loves edamame. Like she could live on those two foods and rice, like brown rice or farro <laughs> are her absolute favorite things. And we were on our way to uh, her grandparents' house and she was falling asleep. So I tried to give her a cookie. Like I baked cookies. I tried to give her one and she took a bite and she's like, I don't like it. And she gives it back. Yeah. And, and, and doesn't want it. And, you know, listen, I'm not saying that feeding your kids plant-based is sort of going to be this, no. this magic bullet to yeah. reducing picky eating. I mean, my kids definitely, you know, let me know who's boss when it yeah. comes to what they're willing to eat. But, but we do see over and over again, the foods that we enjoyed or were introduced to more as children tend to be the foods that we like later on. Um, yeah. The one thing, other thing I'll say about taste preference is that we're all sort of wired to prefer sweet foods. Um, that's sort of a, a way that we survived, right? Because sweet foods tend to be uh, linked to higher calories. They tend to be not bitter and therefore not poisonous. So uh, until really about age seven, eight, sometimes even into the higher uh, teenage years, that bitter sort of defense mechanism doesn't really go away. And that sweeter preference is still there. So it's hard for all parents to introduce yeah. vegetables because they tend to be more bitter, but, uh, just keep at it. You know, the more that you offer these foods, the more they become accepted. And again, we're, when we sort of talk about sort of the known benefits that we really have a lot of data on when it comes to, um, adulthood and plant-based benefit and plant-based diets, then we know that the kids eating this way for life are going to be set up for that path. Yeah. I mean, no matter how you feed your kid, it still, still took me like 20 tries to get my daughter to eat broccoli. Yeah. Nutrition is a long game. That's that's one of our favorite sayings. So what concerns you hear most about feeding kids plant-based? Because I know in adults, everybody's concerned about protein and all that. Um, So is it the same with kids? Like what are the main concerns that you guys have heard? I think so. I think yeah. that's, that's likely the the bigger concern. I mean, I, I get it. You know, I think that we like to say we fight fear with facts. I think there tends to be a lot of fear or concern whenever parent, and you know, really in general, right. We were talking before about uh, people hearing the word vegan or strictly plant-based and thinking like, Oh, that can't be for me. And then you bring kids into it or toddlers or infants. I mean, everyone has an opinion about what they think that they're not going to be able to get. Um, so I would say that that protein is probably the, the biggest concern though. It really shouldn't be, um, yes, toddlers, infants have higher protein needs based on body weight, but overall with their calorie needs, it's, it's not that high, you know, two cups of fortified soy milk a day is going to meet the the protein needs for most kids. Most toddlers, I should say, add in, you know, a half a PBJ sandwich to account for any fiber concerns, and they're going to be meeting their RDA, no problem. So protein really isn't a concern. Um, iron, uh, is probably sort of the next nutrient of, of concern. And, you know, listen, there are some warrants on iron being a concern, uh, iron in plants contains non-heme iron or the non-heme version of iron is in plants. Heme iron is in, uh, animal foods and 
non-heme iron is less bioavailable. And so we need to take that into account. Uh, iron deficiency anemia is the most common nutrient deficiency for kids of all ages, regardless of diet. So it's a problem in plant-based eaters. Sure. It's also a problem in omnivorous children, right? And, and actually in omnivorous children, uh, the culprit a lot of times is too much cow's milk, but you know, iron is something that we talk about a lot. Uh, all of the recipes in our books, on our blog, in our guides, uh, we really strive to be uh, rich in iron because iron is a critical nutrient of importance when it comes to growth, when it comes to development. And, you know, not to be scary, but uh, being iron deficient uh, for too long can cause some neurological damages that are hard to, to repair. So, you know, it's one of the reasons that when you go to your pediatrician, they check your iron levels, right? Even yeah. if you tell them that you're eating steak every day, they check those iron levels. So it's, it, it you know, it, it's not diet related, but it can be diet related if you're plant-based and you're not taking into account non-heme iron sources and making sure to offer them at most meals along with the source of vitamin C, because the vitamin C is going to help increase absorption. And then the other one I would say is probably calcium. You know, I think sometimes when we talk about taking away, uh, dairy milk, we're not offering dairy. People feel like, well, where else is calcium? You know, we've we've sort of been conditioned to think that cow's milk is equivalent to, uh, to calcium. And, you know, to our answer, we say you can absolutely get all of your calcium needs on a plant-based diet. It is way harder in kids. If you're not using a fortified milk, you know, my kids love broccoli, but I think it's like three cups of broccoli, uh, almost they would need a day in order to sort of meet, uh, some of those calcium needs depending on age. And that's just not going to happen every single day. So to combat that we do exactly what we recommend omnivorous parents doing. And that is offering a fortified soy, a fortified pea, a fortified non-dairy milk, because you're going to get the same amount of calcium as in a cup of cow's milk, if not more depending on the brand. And it's really easy to meet a cup. I mean, it's how I meet my calcium needs, you know, it's, it's super simple. And that's true for pregnancy too. Yeah. Um, can we talk about pregnancy? So plant-based pregnancy, um, is it safe? What can you do? Any supplements that you need to take in order, you know, for the baby to be healthy? Yeah. All of that. Listen, it's, it's like with any diet, right? I would say this to anyone is it, any diet can be, uh, a beautiful, healthy choice and any diet cannot be right. So yeah. just because you're sort of eating, let's say a standard American diet or a paleo diet or a keto diet or a vegan diet or whatever sort of label we want to put on, there are sort of health parameters in, in all of those. So when it comes to pregnancy, um, I, like I said, so did Whitney, uh, had, a, a mostly strictly, uh, plant-based pregnancy, slightly predominantly plant-based and it's absolutely healthy, easy to do. Uh, there are a few nutrients that we, we say we need to sort of focus on. Uh, the first one is iron and that's true for the, all the reasons I just said for kids, uh, iron needs jump a lot even if you're omnivorous, um, I forget the exact amount, but I think it's something like you'd need almost like six ounces of steak a day in order to meet, uh, those, those iron needs. And that's just impossible, right? No one's doing that. Actually, I think it's 16. I forget. It's, it's a high, high number. And I will fact check that and get back to you. And I'm sorry, (laughs) my head, but it's, it's a lot of red meat that you would need, uh, in order to meet that 27 milligrams of iron that's recommended in pregnancy. It's why almost all prenatals have at least, you know, 20, 25 milligrams of iron. So our recommendation is to find a prenatal supplement that has a good base of iron. And then of course, just continue to focus on healthy plant-based foods. Like you would anyways, beans, lentils, greens, whole grains, Um, the other concern or other sort of thing that gets tossed around a lot in a plant-based pregnancy is DHA. So DHA is a long form, uh, omega-3 fatty acid that primarily is found in fatty fish and then also in microalgae. So for pregnancy, uh, the recommendation is about 200 milligrams of DHA per day. And that works out to about two servings or so of fatty fish per week. If you're eating fish or taking a DHA supplement, uh, we actually recommend a DHA supplement for all pregnancies. And the reason is because even if you're eating fish, especially when you're pregnant, you need to be a lot more concerned about sort of the environmental contaminants of fish, right? Things like mercury, things like dioxin, dioxins. I know a lot of pregnant women who, even if they eat fish normally, 
don't really want to be consuming that while they're pregnant because those heavy metals, those toxins can be so damaging to the fetus. So taking a microalgae supplement is a really easy way to ensure getting your DHA needs without sort of eating any kind of, of fish. Um, and then the other thing that we talk about sometimes is a nutrient called choline. Choline, to be honest, there's a lot of, of things that we still really don't know that we need better research on. Uh, current estimates are anywhere from 70 to 90% of pregnant women are deficient in choline, and that's all pregnant women. Um, the levels that are currently recommended for pregnancy and breastfeeding are fairly high, 450 to 550 milligrams a day. Uh, so to put that in perspective, you would need to eat about, you know, three, four eggs a day to meet those choline needs. And for plant-based women, it kind of feels like, well, where am I going to get this from? Uh, soy is one of the best sources, plant-based sources of choline. And that's why we recommend plant-based women to drink soy milk, to have edamame. And then again, likely to find a prenatal supplement that contains choline or consider adding choline to the diet in a supplement form. Uh, we have all of this information in our plant-based pregnancy guide that we have on our website. A lot of it is also in our free supplement guide because, you know, we, we shouldn't shy away from the fact that supplements likely are needed in plant-based diets of sort of all forms. Um, and you know, one quick thing I'll say about supplementation, because I feel like we get a lot of like, well, that's not natural. Or what are you talking about? All the oh, supplements, <laughs> listen, every diet is supplemented. You know, and when you're eating your breakfast cereal in the morning, it's got folate added to it. A lot of them have other B vitamins, sometimes iron, sometimes calcium. We know when you add salt, a lot of salt is iodized. Or if you drink milk, the iodine that is in the milk is not there naturally. It's there because they sterilize the udders and the milk equipment with iodized solution and it gets into the milk. Uh, you know, there's, there's fortification in so many everyday foods, even things that we don't consider, you know, fortified that we're taking a supplement. So we don't think this should be a four letter word. We believe that a healthy plant-based diet also includes supplements and we need to talk about it. We need to normalize it and make it, you know, and, and, and again, there's so many trade-offs, right? So yes, we're taking supplements, but we're talking about, you know, human health, environmental health animal welfare. I mean, there's so many reasons to eat yeah. more plant-based that we think talking about supplements or adding a supplement kind of feels like a, a straw man argument against it. Yeah. The last thing I'll say too is, is B12 because that's when we haven't covered yet. Right, right. Um, B12 is really sort of the supplement that plant-based diets need. And the reason is because, uh, B12 is reliably only found in animal products. So we'll also say that about 20% of those over 50 are also deficient in B12, regardless of diet. So I actually recommend everyone over 50 take a B12 supplement in addition to plant-based eaters. So again, we're sort of normalizing this idea that we need B12. It's harder to absorb. We need to get it in supplement form. Yeah. Uh, in pregnancy and breastfeeding, we recommend higher levels, much higher levels in the RDA to account for absorption issues and to make sure you're taking enough to not only supplement you, but also growing fetus and baby. And then for kids, just an easy B12 drop or you can do a multivitamin that covers uh, B12 as well. Mm, and that's yeah. for most of these nutrients you can get in with a multivitamin or a prenatal. So for breastfeeding, mm -hmm. is there, you know, talking about what the baby needs at that stage in infancy, um, you know, maybe as far as iron and all the other nutrients, are there different supplement recommendations <clears throat> for the mom while she's breastfeeding? Yeah. The, the big one for breastfeeding that we would want to really focus on is make sure mom is taking enough B12. So we recommend about 150 micrograms a day for mom. And those levels have shown to be enough to pass through in the breast milk for baby. Um, the other than that, it will, and maybe DHA. So again, we recommend a little bit higher levels of DHA for breastfeeding. Again, we want to give mom enough, but also enough to pass through breast milk. So that level drops up to about 300 milligrams a day. Uh, besides that, nothing really else changes, uh, except for vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that baby is getting their own source of vitamin D. If mom is exclusively breastfed, and this is true for all babies that are exclusively breastfed. Again, we hear arguments and say things like, oh, that's not natural. Why would you want to support your baby, you know, right away? And the reason is we don't live natural lives. Yeah. 
we are indoors. We are not outside half naked a lot of the times. Our lives have changed a lot and therefore we're not getting vitamin D the way that we used to, which was outside in the sun. And that goes for baby too. So the safest thing to do is to give baby vitamin D drops. You can do that right into their mouth or you can sort of put it on your nipple as they're breastfeeding and it goes into their mouth that way. Okay. So vitamin D for any exclusively breastfed baby, regardless of the mother's diet. Regardless. Yeah. And we do that until age one, uh, until baby is sort of weaned off, off breast milk. Uh, if you're formula feeding, then you don't need to add the vitamin D because baby's already going to get that in their, uh, commercial formula. Okay. Let's talk about formula. So for breastfeeding moms who want to supplement or, you know, women who are not breastfeeding, but who want their child to have a plant-based, you know, upbringing, what are some good options for formula? Yeah. Now that there are so many different kinds out there. And there's a lot to unpack on formula. So I'll sort of start and then, you know, we can sort of dive into where we want to go from there. Uh, for infant formula, currently there's no vegan formula available in the United States. And the reason for that is because of the D3. So And this is true actually for a lot of supplements. It's very hard to find certain ones that are vegan. And a lot of the limiting factors is the D3. Uh, The D3 is sourced from lanolin or sheep's wool, which then doesn't make it vegan. But the most compassionate sort of plant-based option is going to be a soy-based formula. Uh, And there's some things I like to sort of talk about because I feel like a lot of moms, we get this question when they go to look at the soy formula and the first ingredient is corn syrup or brown rice syrup. And then they think, oh my gosh, I don't want to give my baby all of these sweeteners. And, you know, milk, human milk, breast milk is very high in lactose, the milk sugar. It's actually not that high in protein, especially compared to cow's milk. And it's very rich in fats. So when we make a formula equivalent, we need to match that. So baby is sort of getting a human breast milk in a formula form. When we take a soybean, it doesn't have enough naturally occurring carbohydrates, sugars, or fat in order to just make that formula from that bean. So we've got to add things in the sort of cheapest, easiest way to sort of get that, that sugar in. And we need it again for growth optimization, sort of match human breast milk is using some type of liquid sweetener, like a corn syrup or a brown rice syrup. And then the added fats, and that's true for, for both cow's milk and uh, soy-based formula, they have to have an added fats. So it's not there because we're, they're trying to add more sweetness for flavor. It's there to mimic the same qualities that are in human breast milk. There are toddler formulas on the market. So there are toddler formulas that are based in pea that are based in like a combination of like pea, buckwheat, um, almond, I think there's, there's a few different options out there. Toddler formulas are different than infant formulas and really shouldn't be used for infancy. So if you see a toddler formula out there, that's like, let's say pea based or something else based, and it says vegan or plant-based, if it's a toddler formula, it likely has a different uh, formulation of protein, of phosphorus, and that can really affect growth and development. So we say choosing an infant formula right now, the two options on the market truly are soy for plant-based and then um, cow's milk for, you know, most of the other ones that are out there. Right. Okay. So if you want to choose a, you know, a soy version, don't be freaked out. It's don't not an added that. sweetener to yes. give your baby a, you know, a sweet tooth. It's exactly. a carbohydrate as a nutrient. And, and most of the cow's milk formulas on the market also have those. Uh, some of them now have started to mimic sort of the European based formulas. So there was, you know, a, a lot of women sort of look at European based formulas because they have different, I don't say standards, but a lot of theirs don't add added sweetness to their cow's milk formula. Uh, and companies here have sort of taken note and there's a few out there that are only lactose for the sugar, but a lot of the ones out there are still have those, you know, corn syrup or brown rice. And again, it's not like, it's not a sugar drip. It is not because they're trying to get your baby to have more added sugar. It's to mimic the same growth and development needs that human breast milk has. Got it. Um, let's go into introducing solids around five, six months. Um, what are the, as far as plant-based kids, predominantly plant-based kids, either way, what are the nutrients of importance that we should be looking for and making sure we get? 
Yeah. So the biggest one for, for all kids is iron. And the reason is because baby uh, stores up iron in utero and uh, their amount of storage can depend on a lot of things. If they were born, born prematurely, they're going to have less iron sort of built up. If um, the cord was clamped sort of right away, they're going to have less iron. If mom didn't have enough iron during pregnancy, the baby might have less iron. So lots of things to consider. Those stores start to wean about four to six months. Um, actually, the AAP currently has the recommendation that all exclusively fed, breastfed babies supplement with iron from four to six months. That's not really widespread in practice, but currently it is AAP recommendation for all babies. Once solids are introduced, we want to make sure that we're giving enough iron to really match those wane stores start to happen and decline again around four to six months. So we want to make sure that baby is getting some type of iron. It's why iron fortified cereal used to, or sort of sometimes still is found in various circles, one of the sort of recommended first foods for baby, because again, it's so high in iron. The needs from about seven to 11 months or 12 months for babies is 11 milligrams of iron, which may not sound like a lot. I mean, that's more than an adult male needs. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a little baby with a very small stomach. Now, the reason that number is so high is because we are assuming that baby is eating mostly plants. So they're accounting for those absorption factors when it comes to heme from animals and non-heme from, from babies, uh, from, from plants, excuse me, but still 11 milligrams for a baby is a lot to, yeah. to, to focus on. So we really recommend you know, iron rich foods at, at all meals, again, beans, lentils, whole grains, uh, legumes, I mean, uh, leafy greens, and then adding in some type of maybe iron fortified cereal. If baby is having a hard time eating enough solid food. And if you want to do baby led weaning, we have lots of different ways to show you how to use some type of iron fortified cereal in either pancakes or, you know, sort of a spoon fed, uh, preloaded spoon. Yeah. Now, when you introduce milk to a toddler, once they're done breastfeeding or off of formula, I know a lot of people are concerned about, even our own pediatrician was concerned that I wasn't giving my daughter um, cow's milk. Mm -hmm. So tell us what the best options are and how they stack up against cow's milk, what nutrients we're looking for and just put people at ease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, so, you know, we don't need cow's milk. Yeah. We need the nutrients that are also found in cow's milk. Right. So, you know, again, there, that's a huge difference kids, developing kids need calcium. They need protein. They need fat. They need vitamin D, which is added to cow's milk. Uh, and they need vitamin a. So those are all things we want to make sure that we're getting in a plant-based diet or, and, or through a plant-based milk. Um, we like some, uh, either a fortified pea or a fortified soy milk. And those nutritionally are uh, the, the most equivalent to a whole cow's milk. So they're going to have a little bit more fat. They're going to have more protein, similar to uh, cow's milk, uh, calories. They're all going to have added calcium and vitamin D and sometimes B12, A, DHA, depending on the brand. And they're also going to be rich in the amino acid lysine. So when we talk about plant-based diets, again, protein is not a concern at all, uh, but lysine tends to be a more limiting amino acid on a plant-based diet and offering legumes, beans uh, daily is a really easy way to meet those lysine needs. So when you're giving your child, let's say a cup of fortified soy milk or a cup of fortified pea milk, you're matching as close as possible to human breast milk and then uh, to cow's milk. And you're also making sure you're giving enough of that lysine. And like I said, in the beginning too, two cups of fortified soy milk is about 16 grams of protein. If your average toddler needs, you know, anywhere from 13 to 17 grams, put on body weight, it's really easy to meet those protein needs and parents just don't have to worry. And you're getting, you know, almost all of the calcium needs just from those two cups alone, if it's fortified too. Okay. And talk to us about the importance of dietary fat in babies and kids and where we should be getting this fat from. Yeah. So fat is awesome. You know, I think sometimes in the plant-based community, there's this fear around oils or added fats. Yeah. And, you know, listen, that's a conversation we can debate when it comes to adults, but when it yeah. comes to kids, 
we really don't want to be limiting fat at all. And again, that's true for all children, right? So uh, dietary fat needs are about 35 to 40% of the calorie intake, again, depending on age. And, you know, yeah, it's great if we can get that through sort of whole food sources. So things like avocados, nuts, where age appropriate, right? So in nut butters, um, in blending the smoothies, sauces, et cetera. Um, but, you know, also thinking about calories and trying to get in nutrients into kids oils. We have seen no reason why we should limit them when it comes to cooking for our kids, you know, especially if your kids love pasta or they love rice, you know, stirring in some olive oil can really help to increase that fat, which again, we need for development, especially when it comes to brain and cognition. Um, and then, you know, other, other sort of fat. So soy is actually a, a delicious source of fat. So tofu, soy milk, um, you know, so, so really trying to, to eat a wide variety of, of plant-based fats when it comes to our kids, but not shying away or being scared of oils, uh, when it comes to cooking with them for our children, because again, they need that fat. And one of the beauties of a plant-based diet for adults, it tends to be naturally a little bit lower in fat. Great, uh, for sort of an older population, not so great when it comes to kids and really trying to maximize, uh, calories for, for development. Yeah. When my daughter wasn't eating for that month, <laughs> whatever it was, <laughs> I was like, just cooking everything in oil. Like, yeah. I was like oil in your, you want rice. Okay. Cooking it with oil. You want tofu oil. <laughs> like, and it, and it tastes good, you it know, tastes better than without oil. Obviously. Totally. Totally. And, and especially for trying to increase acceptance, you know, uh, one thing we say too, is like a little bit of salt, uh, yeah. actually helps to mask some of that bitter, uh, taste that vegetables have. So there's a reason I feel like people all over the world toss vegetables and grains with a little fat and salt, right. Yeah. It really helps to increase, uh, palatability. So yeah. don't be scared of oil. My daughter wouldn't eat tempeh at first. And then I'm like, okay, let me cook it in oil. And like, now she loves it. Delish. But yeah. it has to be cooked in oil. And I was like, it, it is better this way. Like I wasn't really used to cooking it. So I was still learning. Mm -hmm. Um, and once I started doing it in oil, everybody was happier. <laughs> yeah. Cause it tastes well. And you know what? I think that's one of those things that in the plant-based community, especially we kind of have to like re-educate on because I yeah. think so many parents and, you know, moms and, and caregivers over the years have come to us and said things like, I'm worried this is too much oil, or I, I, I get nervous about this. And it's like, again, you know, nutrition is not one size fits all. We always have to think about, well, who are we talking about, right? What are the recommendations for? The recommendations for a seven month old is going to be completely different than a 70 year old. Right. Yeah. And so we really have to tailor that towards that. And so some of the sort of chitter chatter online about, you know, fats and oils may make sense for a certain subgroup of the population, but it definitely does not make sense when it comes to our kids and really not to be scared of that. The, the scary headlines we sometimes see about kids who aren't thriving on plant-based diets a lot of the times it comes down to way too low in fat and they're, they're being malnourished because they're not getting enough calories in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen that even on like TV shows, like Grey's Anatomy or something. It's like vegan child. And I'm like, why are you oh, putting this out there? I didn't like, know it was on Grey's. Oh man. I'm yeah. like, and listen, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to sort of critique the, the community too. I mean, there are some social media influencers oh, yeah. where, you know, their kids are eating raw or, you know, very sort of high, um, low nutrient dense, low calorie dense foods, high nutrient dense, low calorie dense foods. And that's great for an adult. Again, when it comes to kids, you know, yeah. fruits and vegetables are amazing, but they don't have that many calories. So we can't have our kids only eating fruit all day long. You know, they need yeah. to supplement with whole grains, with beans, with fats, et cetera. Yeah. And I, um, so I think that is a concern for some parents. They think that it's, it's not enough food yeah. for their kids, but like you said, it comes down to proper planning and, and understanding how to increase the calories. Totally. Um, and, and listen, I would have this conversation if a child was plant-based or yeah. not, you know, I've seen a lot of clients over the years where their child is omnivorous, but you know, it's chicken nuggets. It's, you know, maybe a, a white bread sandwich with peanut butter and, you know, an orange and that's it. Yeah. And, you know, so these are not concerns just to plant-based families, but we do want to ensure that we're getting enough of those calories. Because again, one of the benefits from a plant-based diet is that it can be lower in calories depending on what you're eating. That might be beneficial for some areas of the population, not when it comes to kids and just being mindful of that. 
Yeah. And I love that you guys always talk about the proper planning because that's true of any diet. Like you yes. said before, yes. any diet, you know, if you are feeding your kid, a plant-based diet or vegan diet, whatever you want to call it, um, or an om- omnivorous diet, you mm-hmm. know, you can't just live on chicken and steak, you yes. know, you're not going to get any fiber, you know, it, it, so like, do you have any, any other tips other than like the iron and the vitamin C and all that stuff for the proper planning of maybe a toddler's plant-based diet? Yeah. If, if anyone hearing this is like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is way too much information that I have to know. <laughs> uh, one, I will say every single diet should be well-planned. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, I, I assume every parent is, is considering their kids nutrient intake anyways. Um, and second, we try to make it as easy as possible with a tool that we call our PB three plate. It's a free download uh, that you can grab on our website. Whitney and I both have it printed out on our fridge and it's really easy. It sort of breaks in that sort of breaks sort of our, our food groups, if you will, by what we want our, our kids to be offered at most meals. So legumes, nuts and seeds, fruits and vegetables, and then, um, uh, grains and starches. So, you know, if you're sort of offering one of each of those at most meals, and that can be however works for your family and your sort of favorite foods, you're likely going to hit almost all of those nutrients we've just talked about. We have sort of a call out in the center of our plate for a focus on friendly fat, for a focus on iron. Um, but again, if you're sort of offering those food groups, you're going to be meeting most of those nutrient concerns and then adding a B12 supplement on top of it, maybe a cup of fortified, you know, non-dairy milk. And it's, it's, it's likely going to be more well-planned than most, uh, children's diets. Yeah. And that's, it's helpful, especially in those picky eating phases, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, my daughter was going through it. She would eat like oatmeal. Like she's always fine with oatmeal. So I'm like, cool. I'm throwing in the flaxseed, the cheese, yes. seed, like all of it in there. And she doesn't know she, you obviously can't taste it. Yeah. Um, it's but, good. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and one thing I will say sort of to, to help parents too, is because I think, you know, we hear this all the time, like, uh, my kids only like carbs. Well, even if your child is eating, you know, quote unquote white pasta, one cup still contains, you know, eight grams of protein, uh, bread, depending on, you know, what kind of wheat you're using, obviously it's going to increase the more sort of whole wheat it is, but some slices of bread can contain, you know, five grams of protein per slice. So even if your child is just eating, you know, peanut butter sandwiches and pasta, they're likely getting more protein than you think. It's not just a sort of carb food. I think we sort of been like diet culture to consider uh, grains to be. (laughs) So I know the like USDA came out with some new recommendations last year. Do Mm -hmm. they touch on this for children at all? Like has anything changed? Yeah. So yeah. So that the USDA for the first time ever, uh, came out with food guidelines for those under two. So kind of crazy that we haven't had sort of general guidelines for for under two. And, you know, I I think for, for those of us in this field or those of us, you know, sort of as, as well, right as you are, none of these sort of recommendations or guidelines were surprising, right? So they, they noted that iron was a a big concern, um, and, you know, focusing on, on making sure that we're getting enough iron. Uh, I've seen some headlines that, you know, the, the USDA recommends beef and that's not what they said. If you read the guidelines, uh, they did recommend a focus on iron, uh, for that sort of special period from six to about 12 months. Uh, and then really focusing on not adding too much added salt or sugar for those under age two, uh, the AAP also currently doesn't recommend added sugar, uh, for those under age two and, you know, look like real world, does my kid get bread with a gram of sugar in it? Yes. You know, am I crazy about all the pasta sauces I make or I buy if I don't have time to make my own? No, you know, like they, they, they have it. I don't make a habit of giving my kids under two dessert. I will also say that's a lot easier with child number one than is a child number two. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's trying to minimize as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I was, I saw your post, this, I think it was this morning that you had like three different breakfasts out. <laughs> For your son. I was like, oh my yeah. God, I know that. Well, I will also say breakfast is like by far his like best meal of the day yeah, my as daughter far too. as he's like hungry. And, and that's true for a lot of kids, yeah. you know, dinner tends to be, we sort of think of dinner as sort of like the, you know, the, the best meal. I think a lot of adults do, but for kids by the end of the day, it's harder for them to eat. So I sort yeah. of like to maximize nutrition at breakfast and, you know, yeah, lately he's been loving his like O's and oatmeal and a smoothie. Great. Yeah. 
That's you know, he eats most of it. I, there's so much nutrition in that. I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. But to kind of reel everything in, what is something that, or anything as much as you want to share with people who are considering this lifestyle and to kind of put them at ease because you and, and Whitney have a very relatable approach, which is something I love about PBJ, the whole PBJ community. Um, it's not like stuffy nutrition education. It's very, uh, digestible and relatable to the everyday person. I'm not like a chef. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like doing my best, you know, and, um, I feel confident in what I'm doing. And it's because of like you two and other people like you. So like, what is something you would share or any advice you would give to people who want to try this lifestyle for them and for their kids? Yeah. I, I truly believe in sort of the, the adage of, you know, we're all doing the best we can with what we've got. And what we've got may change day to day. And so when I sort of say things like nutrition is a long game, it may mean the best I've got today is cereal for dinner and, you know, a PB and J again. And I'm not saying anything wrong on PBJs. We named our company PBJs because <laughs> we love PBJs. They're yeah. wonderful. I just sort of reference it because it's such a quick, easy sort of like yeah. meal. Um, and, you know, other days, the best we can is, you know, sort of a, a more focus on, on planning. So, uh, I, I think truly to any parent listening is you can start where you're at. You can start what makes sense for you and your family and considering where you're at is likely going to be one of the biggest indicators of success. That's not to say that aren't people that have been very successful in doing overhauls and really, you know, sort of changing lifestyle and habits overnight. But, you know, I I've seen clients for a decade and I will say that most of them have lasting success when they start little by little and slowly make changes that make sense. So I like to say, you know, figure out what's going to work for your family and also what you're willing to do. If you're willing to put two more vegetables or two more, you know, pieces of, of produce on your plate every day, that's awesome. You know, especially before it was zero, if yeah. you're only eating right now, let's say refined grains. Great. Can you make half of that a whole grain? You know, when I was, um, <laughs> my husband is sort of my, my baby. <laughs> and I say that is when I, when I met him, I mean, he was like, Mr. Wisconsin meat and potatoes. And <laughs> I was not at that point. And, you know, he, he now is predominantly plant-based and has really sort of come a long way, but that's taken, you know, 13 years. And when we first started dating, I was cooking for him. I would mix like half whole wheat pasta and half regular pasta. And that took a long time and so before he really started to accept the taste of sort of that nuttier, denser whole wheat. And that also works great for kids, for the family. You know, again, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, so I think starting where you're at is really great. And also again, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect every single day. Whitney and I are far from perfect. Some days our kids get really beautiful, colorful, nutrient rich meals and other days they don't. And, you know, that's okay too. We're, yeah. we're busy moms, might be dietitians, but you know, life comes at you fast and trying to figure out, you know, again, like sort of what your, what your best is, but I would say aiming for more plants on the plate, doing what you can with what you've got and that they change day to day. I think that's a really sort of good course for, for most people to, to take on. Yeah. And you know, one more thing I just thought of to ask you, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of talk and like fear around processed foods. And I know as adults, we try to maybe, um, avoid them as much as possible for our health, but in being plant-based is also the environmental thing, which has become big, big for me personally. And the reason I eat this way and want to, and just want to feed my daughter and, and educate her on this as she grows up. Um, and so you know, you guys are, have shared some meals on your Instagram where maybe like a frozen, um, meat replacement or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear you touch on that because I don't want parents who want to eat this way or feed their kids this way to be afraid of those things when they need them, or if totally. it's what they can afford or if it's what's available to them. Absolutely. And, you know, th there's so much in nutrition and recommendations that is based in access and affordability and privilege that sort of get, you know, skated on the surface, yeah. but we, you know, we could do a much deeper dive in, into what that looks like. Um, yes, it is true that the average American's diet is very high in ultra processed foods. There is a huge benefit in moving away from that. Um, 
that said, it doesn't have to be this complete avoidance of ultra processed foods or even processed foods. I love meat replacements. They're delicious. You know, I don't eat them every day, uh, mostly because they're a little bit high in salt. Uh, but I think they're great. You know, I made a bolognese the other day and I made a use like impossible in it. And it was awesome. I mean, there's yeah. no way anyone in my family could have told that, uh, you know, known it wasn't, it wasn't meat if they tried it. So I think there's a lot of benefit on some of those meals. It also helps with acceptability. Yeah. You know, when I send my son to school, he gets tofu nuggets. I actually don't know if he knows that the nuggets his friends are eating are actually <laughs> chickens, but he feels like it's nugget day, you know, yeah. and like the other kids are eating nuggets. I'm eating nuggets and we're all okay. I think there is such a, a huge benefit, especially when it comes to kids to fitting in, uh, to feeling social, to feeling comfortable around their diets or, you know, dietary patterns and processed foods absolutely have a place in that. I don't think they should be shunned. You know, I, yeah. I yes, I'm a dietitian. I would love us all to eat more, you know, whole food, uh, plant-based items, but I also don't think there's any reason to sort of villainize processed, ultra processed foods because they definitely have a place in the diet. Um, and, you know, allowing for some of that flexibility, I also think helps to reduce some of those, you know, maybe like too clean orthorexic type of, of eating patterns yeah. sometimes can happen within the plant-based community. Yeah, I agree. And it's a concern that I think about like for my daughter, when she grows up and she goes to school or she's at a friend's house and you know, you can't strive for perfection all the time. And that's for kids or adults of any diet. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll also say too, some of these meat alternatives, especially they're not junk food, yeah. right? They contain protein. They contain iron. Uh, there was a recent study that just came out of Stanford called the swap meat study where they essentially gave, uh, people four weeks of plant-based alternatives, four weeks of the meat counterpart, and then sort of measured how they did. And the hypothesis going in was, I think, sort of the critique that we hear about a lot in some of these meat alternatives, like, oh, they're higher in uh, saturated fat they're higher in sodium. Therefore we're likely going to see the same, you know, things that we see when we eat those kind of meats, uh, options and sort of an omnivorous diet. And that wasn't the case. You know, they, they did show more improved, uh, cardiometabolic profiles. Uh, a lot of the participants lost a small amount of weight, even though they were eating a similar caloric diet. So maybe one day they had a chicken salad with fake chicken. And the other day they had regular chicken salad. So it was pretty apples to apples, but anyways, all that to say, it's not like we're talking about, you know, ho-hos and yeah. ding-dongs, right? Like there, there are a place for these foods. I mean, if my son is taking chicken nugget or tofu chicken nuggets to school and they have iron, they have protein, they have, you know, healthy fats in them too. Like, great. Yeah. We could, we could do a lot worse. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Again, it's a long game and it's, long game. it's it has to be something that they're going to eat. Yes. You know? And, and it's life, you know, like yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, not every bite of food also has to be pleasurable. Right. I, right? I agree. Like yeah. food can be fun. And, and there's also so much about like sharing your food and who you're with. And, you know, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot that's in that when it comes to how we eat and, and what we eat. And so I yeah. think that as much as we can match that in, in a plant-based way, I think is really helpful for a lot of families. Yeah. And just one more thing. I was laughing at myself earlier because I was like rushing to make my daughter lunch, whatever. And I think every single thing was from the freezer. Like I was like, Oh, great. Frozen yes. edamame, frozen, um, whatever I had in there. I don't know. Frozen vegetables. Like those things are heroes to me because we're, yes. we're busy. Like we're mm -hmm. trying to do things as, as best we can. Um, and I'll just be like, take out the edamame, take out the broccoli, take out the frozen French fries. I don't care. Like, great. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and one thing I will also say about frozen foods is they're not necessarily any less nutritious than their yeah. fresh counterparts. And we're talking about like frozen berries, frozen vegetables. I mean, a lot of times they're frozen at the peak of ripeness, which sort of, if you take like the ripeness apex, the nutrients are going to be at sort of the, the peak of ripeness, of ripeness. So, you know, that might be different than the fresh things you're getting in the store and they're convenient. They're easy. Like yeah. these, these are not things that should be shunned. I think that's so elitist. I can't yeah. stand it. Um, and I feel like it, the people that are doing that are making eating more plants less accessible and that is hurting the cause overall. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I'm going to let On that you happy go. Note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you um, what I really think. Don't worry. Yeah. 
Okay. This has been so great. Um, tell everybody your Instagram, your website, all that stuff. Cause you guys have so many good downloads on your website that I've used. And I just want everybody to use if they want to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you've got lots of free things we've talked about on this, uh, this interview today, we have our PB3 play, our supplement guide all for free on our website. The website is plantbasedjuniors.com. And then our Instagram is really where we're the most active on social media. And that is at plantbasedjuniors. Got it. Okay, Alex, thank you so much. Thank you for all this information. Never stop because we need you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Definitely go and check out plantbasedjuniors.com and their Instagram page if this is something you're interested in. And yeah, get, you know, take the advantage of all those free downloads. It's some really great stuff. And if you like this episode, if you enjoy this podcast, I would personally appreciate it. If you go to Apple Podcasts, leave me a rating, a review. It's definitely very helpful. And yeah, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll see you in the next one.